Welcome to this Eiffel Art Awards podcast, where we're speaking with some of the winners of the Eiffel Art's 2021 Global Awards. My name is James Wilson, editor of the Eiffel Art Awards, and I will be your host. This year's prestigious Eiffel Art Awards recognised outstanding legal innovation in cross-border deal-making during 2020, which of course was a year that was disrupted and to a certain extent defined by COVID-19. We are joined by three lead lawyers from Greece's top-tier full-service commercial law firm, Bernitsas Law. Bernitsas won IFLR's Greece Firm of the Year and Greece Corporate Team of the Year in the awards this year. The firm is no stranger to IFLR's Greece National Firm of the Year Award. It's also an undoubted market leader and an institution in the Greek legal market. We will be discussing the environment for international investment funds in Greece, developments in non-performing loans, the privatisation programme and digital finance, among some other topics. I'm delighted to be joined by Panayotis Benitsas, managing partner of Benitsas Law. Panayotis has over 35 years practice experience and heads the firm's real estate, tax, projects and PPP practices. Welcome. Thank you very much for inviting us. It's, it is a real pleasure to be here. Athanasia Sene, partner in the banking and finance practice. Athanasia has been heavily involved in the development of a secondary market for non-performing loans in the portfolios of Greek banks, among other things. But welcome, Athanasia. Thank you. And Nico Papakristopoulos, who joined the firm in 1995 and is joint head of the banking, finance and capital markets, corporate and M&A practices. Welcome, Nico. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Well, congratulations, firstly, on your recent wins in the IFLR Europe Awards. I imagine it um, would have always felt good to receive those that sort of recognition. It's always, uh, it's always the case. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Great. Um, so, the, I mean, the Greek market has had a high profile in the awards over recent years, largely due to all the legal developments, uh, developments in the legal frameworks and the pioneering transactions that have come along with that, especially in relation to resolving non-performing loan portfolios and the privatisation programme and some of the investment opportunities that those have opened up. If we start with sort of the environment for international investment funds, Greece has been on the radar for international funds for quite a while now, and it's drawn a lot of interest from funds. What have been the most dynamic sectors and types of investments and where and how has Greece been most successful in drawing investment? Okay, it is true that Greece has started attracting significant investment from uh, private equity funds since I would say the second half of 2016, after investor confidence in the country's uh, prospects was progressively restored up to a certain extent, combined with the then government's intention to do what was required to ensure that Greece would remain a member of the EU and the Eurozone, as well as the domestic bank's moderate ability to financially support Greek businesses. Uh, leaving aside the NPL sector, I think that the healthcare, hospitality and real estate, financial services, fish farming and food sectors attracted the vast majority of the investments made by private equity firms in terms of aggregate values. The government change of July 2019 pushed things forward. 
the new government has proven investor friendly and determined to truly transform the Greek economy and proceed to the necessary reforms that gave the markets a strong signal that Greece is open for business. And this is exactly the main challenge that we are up against now, meaning that the government's ability to deliver what has promised to deliver and its willingness, and I would say readiness, to confront those who resist change. New laws have been enacted with a view to, among others, modernizing and optimizing the functioning of the public administration, facilitating and expediting investments, and creating an attractive and stable tax framework. And I would say the legal and regulatory framework is adequate and in place. Implementation and monitoring its effectiveness would play a key role in the country's success. Can you give some examples, some concrete examples of transactions that sort of really showcase the market at the moment? Yeah, starting uh, from uh, 2016, the first transaction I would mention that it was uh, would be the acquisition of the iconic Astir Palace complex located in the so-called uh, uh, called Athens Riviera by AGC Equity Partners. And then um, that's for the hospitality and real estate, I would say. And then on the healthcare sector, I would note CVC's acquisition of the top private healthcare group of Hygia in 2019. Uh, the acquisition of Trastor Rake by Varder Partners and Prodea Rake by Castle Lake Opportunities Partners in 2019. Uh, the acquisition of uh, um, Nireus and Seloda Aquaculture by Amira Capital Management and Mubadala in 2020. And CVC's acquisition of uh, the Vivartia Group in 2021 as well as its agreement, CVC's agreement, to acquire national insurance again a couple of months ago. What do these transactions illustrate about the market, do you think? First of all, investors' confidence. Uh, that regardless of um, the unfortunate events uh, that practically... Um, destroyed uh, investor confidence in, in, in the country's pro uh, prospects. Now, especially with a new government, things seems to move in the, towards the right direction. Uh, the investor confidence is restored. There are plenty of op opportunities and we are ready to take advantage not only from the um, um, financial support coming from EU funds, but also from the excess liquidity uh, that, you know, especially private equity firms uh, have and are ready to invest and take risk, reasonable risk always. Mm -hmm. And the topic of risk, how have the last sort of 18 months affected the investment appetite has it dampened it or what impact did it have listen it is true that during uh, the period from mid-february to end of june uh, 2020 investors have practically suspended their investment plans in in greece and focused mainly on preserving the value and, uh, of and supporting their prior investments However, the pandemic caused many investors to shift their focus to businesses less exposed to the effects of COVID-19, which at the same time it 
take advantage of the opportunities created, created by the pandemic and are expected to benefit most of the substantial funds to which Greece is entitled under the EU Recovery and Resilience uh, Fund. And the major concern here is, I would say, uh, uh, on the one hand, the country's ability to swiftly receive and allocate EU funding to eligible businesses. And on the other hand, the feasibility and the reliability of the business plan prepared by, by such businesses. Also, in light of this, we have been witnessing more and more complex purchase price structures, the main common feature of which is deferred and earn out payment arrangements. So if you're looking forward, are you optimistic about the coming year or coming couple of years? And uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Of course, we are concerned about the fourth wave of COVID-19 with the Delta uh, variant. Uh, but if we achieve a high level of vaccination, I think uh, the any concerns that have been expressed um, uh, will be eased progressively. There is strong investor appetite and, as I said before, excess liquidity. And from a legal perspective, what can your team add in this space? Like how do you add value in such transactions in space? Of course, over and above our legal expertise and our deep understanding of how things are running Greece, uh, what we have managed to do is to assemble a train, a, a team of experts who are working almost exclusively for our private equity clients. My colleague and I understand how private equities operate, structure, implement and exit their investments. Our clients very frequently rely on us to guide them in making decisions based on a legal assessment which has significant commercial repercussions and to quantify its impact on their business and financial models. And this is an asset that, and this is an asset that we have gained over the years and is highly valued by our clients. And then not unconnected to the investment environment is that question of non-performing loans that you raised at the beginning. And Athanasia, I imagine this is sort of your area, but or maybe both yeah. of you. Um, so this is another area where I think from an awards perspective, your team has been very much at the forefront. Um, and it's been a very pioneering legal area. There have been a lot of transactions out of the Greek market that have been very interesting from a, a European perspective to, to look at. Can you tell us where Greece is today in this process of managing the non-performing loans? Well, the first thing I have to say is that all this has been a very long and painful process because due to the Greek crisis, there have been a lot of non-performing loans in the Greek market, which had to be resolved and which um, partly due to the workload of the banks themselves and partly due to a political perception that it is wrong to basically seek recovery from poor debtors and so on and so forth. Uh, there, there has been a lot of reluctance in implementing uh, a legal framework that could work for these purposes. We are very much honoured. We worked on the legal framework that resulted in the establishment and licensing of servicing companies because at that time, back in 2015 onwards, we worked together with Alpha Bank um, with 
in connection with a joint venture at that time with Centerbridge so that the first servicing company could be established. So there was a lot of work at that time for the legal and regulatory framework because the idea was that the creation of licensed services in the markets could provide some comfort to everybody, that there would be a well-organized uh, and supervised procedure for the recovery of the of the NBLs. The first transaction was concluded back in 2017. It was a transaction by Eurobank. Um, and then all the other banks practically followed. Uh, first with the consumer uh, loan portfolios and uh, personal loan portfolios and credit card portfolios. And then gradually with SME portfolios, corporate loan portfolios. And uh, and finally, uh, we we have the Hercules Asset Protection Scheme that was implemented with the approval of the EU competition. A and therefore, there is now a, a legal framework that has, in the first place, uh, achieved uh, the, the disposal of large portfolios of NPLs of all types of, of loans and credit facilities as well. And at the same time, has contributed to a better perception in the market that this thing can work well because the, the servicing companies uh, that are now in the market, there are several actually servicing companies operating in the market, they already have uh, a significant experience in working with NPL portfolios. They have worked on models, they have worked on recovery strategies and policies. So it is as if something that nobody could imagine back in 2015 or 2017 has you know, finally been implemented. So the, the prospect is that the issue will be resolved because it was a very serious issue for the Greek banks uh, so that they resume lending as usual in the market. And at the same time, uh, there is now much experience that will hopefully assist in resolving in a better manner whatever NPL portfolios could exist in the future. So it's it's a... It's a very hard exercise, uh, but at least I think it will, in the, in, on the one hand, resolve the, the work, the, the backlog of the, of the NPLs, and at the same time has already created a lot of experience for the banks themselves and the servicers and the investors as well as to uh, what is the best manner to basically uh, complete a, a good recovery process. In, in a broader European context, have you seen other markets following some of the lessons that that you've had to learn in Greece about managing the, these non-performing loans? Or Well, I think that the idea of a licensed servicer uh, seems to, you know, to be more popular than it used to be because there will be, as I understand it, a European framework for licensed services so that there is something that can provide comfort to all market players and the general public as well, that this is not something that has to do with uh, unfair or harsh or whatever measures uh, against the debtors, especially if they are vulnerable or, or whatever. But it, it is just something that needs to be done. So, and, and of course, there are always both amicable um, uh, measures and, and there are also enforcement measures, you know, whatever can work in the circumstances, depending 
on the extent to which a borrower cooperates. Notwithstanding the fact that it's a, a complicated and sensitive issue, um, just mechanically putting transactions together as legal frameworks are evolving must be mm. extremely complicated. It is, yes, <laughs> it is. Because the legal framework itself was amended several times, you know, because the the original reluctance, uh, it was not easy to basically defeat all these hesitations and, you know, all these things. So they had gradually to amend the law to basically fit what could work. And I must say that there has been a lot of progress in this area. Uh, it was difficult, but it happened. And the, in addition to that, there have been significant legislative changes in in the, the field of insolvency and also in, in connection with other measures that have to do with uh, primary residence, protection of primary residence. And in all cases, I think it is very positive that the intention is to basically, in the first place, uh, treat fairly those who are in need of of, of not being unduly um, pressured to to pay when they really cannot, and at the same time to discourage or at least protect against people who are strategic defaulters and who simply want to buy time by basically exhausting whatever remedies are available by law, whether there are grounds for those remedies or not. So the, the idea is to, to make the system more efficient, to set certain deadlines within which this or that remedy can be exercised, to set a deadline within which a, a judgment have, has to be issued, and uh, at the same time to have transparency uh, and ensure that anybody who seeks special protection, so to say, would need to provide data and information that would uh, provide comfort to everybody that this person does not somehow fails to disclose existing assets or income um, and tries to basically achieve a good solution for for the debtor, but not necessarily for the banks, and it, which is something, of course, that does not work well, not just for the banking system, but also for the society as a whole. As a final question on this topic, if you're looking forward, what's, what developments are you expecting over the next year or so? Um, are there particular trends that you're anticipating? Yeah, I think that the first thing we've already seen is that there is a better quality of information provided by the banks because the data tapes, for instance, are in, in better shape. The information is more complete. So there is already a standardization at the very basic level, which is the information to be provided to the investors. The other thing is that the banks themselves have been now used to what the investors expect to see and, and and be informed uh, with respect to the portfolio. And, and therefore, I think that the process has gradually but steadily uh, standardized so that the, the, the best scenario for me would be to, to have uh, probably to, to, to deal with uh, an innovative structures that better assist in, in the structuring for a particular portfolio, but at the same time have more certainty and, and less discussion about basic warranties, about the quality of information provided, and so on and so forth, so that the process itself is more expeditious, more efficient, 
and better for the banks and the investors, of course. And at the same time, this can reduce the transaction costs, which is also a very important element in, in this effort. Okay. So I think that's what I'm looking forward to seeing here. Okay. More standardization. And the other thing which is interesting in this uh, field of um, of legal work is that there is, uh, in addition to the, the investors in NPL portfolios, you also have a market that has to do with the financiers of the investors, the co-investors of the investors, which also include international financial institutions, international banks, and... Um, and you also have secondary sales as well. So the, this is a, a work stream that is that has a lot of variations and uh, additional problems or different problems, uh, starting from the basic issue, how you dispose of this particular NPL portfolio. So it's, it's an interesting workload, I must say. Very interesting, yeah. Well, I'll, that leads to that, the question again about how, how does a team prepare to a legal team, a firm, prepare to operate in this field when there's so much going on and it's, it's such a range of work that needs to be done? Well, I think we, we've been uh, uh, lucky that we had the, the opportunity to work on, on all this from the very beginning and even before the, the introduction of the, of the new legislative framework back in 2015 onwards. So we've started working in this area since about 2011, I would say that that was the the first year that we started working on what could be done for an NPL portfolio. And there were many issues at that time uh, based on the uh, legislative framework at that time. But anyway, so it's a lot of years that we've worked on this. There is, in addition to that, there is a lot of expertise in, in banking and finance of all types. And there is also, um, and we are very well used to dealing with international investors and banks as well. So the, the good thing is that we can understand what the other side would expect, which makes things easier so that you have something that, that works for both and hopefully is more efficient in terms of completion. But there is a lot of work, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The first thing is that you, you must be prepared to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, perfect. Thank you, Athanasia. Uh, we wanted to ask about privatizations. It's been a theme in uh, the Greek market recently. It's obviously very high on the agenda for the Greek government and has been for, well, since the financial crisis. And the aim is to drive reform create a more dynamic real economy and attract investment. How has this program developed up to now and what are the openings it's creating in the Greek market? Uh, Well, because uh, a large part, let's say, of the activities in Greece uh, was um, uh, done under the supervision of the public, uh, of the state itself or the public sector companies, uh, it was important in order to uh, let's say, to proceed to the liberalization of the market, to proceed with uh, 
let's say, a series of uh, privatizations, especially in 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 fields which were very important and were dominated by the state. So uh, there is a huge program that has been developed over the last years uh, regarding privatization. It has to do with infrastructures in Greece, uh, highways, uh, bridges, uh, ports, uh, uh, airports. Uh, this is very important, of course, for the Greek market. And uh, this uh, present program that is being developed uh, concerns other sectors as well, such as uh, the shipyards, uh, um, the electricity distribution network, uh, the public gas corporation, uh, various uh, other highways in Crete, uh, which are being, of course, tendered out, uh, and... Uh, uh, and the international airport, which has been delayed, of course, uh, due to the to the COVID and the pandemic, uh, and uh, uh, various other projects that are taking place uh, in various, uh, let's say, sectors. Uh, I think that with regard to the water and with the sewerage companies, they are going to follow. But this is a delicate issue that has to do also with uh, uh, certain uh, interests, certain interests of of the state uh, uh, that have to be protected. So there is a huge program that has been delayed, of course, during the crisis. Uh, The Greek government is trying to attract uh, foreign investors. This is uh, in the center, let's say, of the governmental agenda. Uh, And, uh, of course, uh, uh, this government, which has, uh, let's say, as as an item in the core of its activities, the privatization uh, program, uh, is trying very hard to create uh, the right environment for foreign investors to invest uh, in companies that are going to be privatized in Greece. Uh, recent examples concern, uh, for instance, the shipyards, uh, which are in the process of being privatized uh, and may attract, of course, and will attract in the future uh, for foreign foreign investors. Uh, and uh, uh, you know that there are already uh, certain um, companies that have been very active, especially international companies in the highways uh, sector. Uh, So there are uh, foreign companies that are very much interested in being strategic investors in Greece. And uh, one of them is Vinci, which is the French uh, uh, construction and uh, and uh, operating company, and you have some other um, uh, German and uh, uh, Spanish uh, international companies that are also very active in the uh, highway sector. Um, can you give us some idea of the form that these transactions have been taking? Is is it the sort of transactions you've been putting together? Well, what happens normally is that whenever the government wants to privatize a certain infrastructure, a port or airports, etc., it launches a public tender procedure uh, and you have, um, in accordance uh, with the international rules that prevail and the EU, of course, regulations, you have various um, consortia that are being formed, normally uh, in conjunction with Greek companies and foreign entities, and which uh, 
participate in the various stages of the tender. Uh, there is uh, uh, the stage of the expression of interest and following that uh, there is uh, the submission of non-binding offers and subsequently of binding offers. Uh, and there is a lot of competition normally uh, with regard to all those um, uh, public tender procedures. We see that now in DEPA. DEPA is the public gas corporation and there, and uh, the privatizations has to do with two sectors of DEPA. The one is infrastructure and the other is commercial DEPA. And you have uh, many foreign uh, investors who, are, who show a very keen interest in acquiring part uh, or, or um, uh, the whole of these uh, uh, DEP activities. How can sort of investors best position themselves in the context of this privatization program? What is the government looking for? What do they aim to achieve? Well, the government, of course, is looking for credible uh, investors who will stay here and will have strategic interests. And we've seen that on many occasions, whenever one fund, for instance, one of the equity fund funds invests in Greece and there is one successful investment, there, there is a follow-up with many more. And as you know, international investors also tend to follow the trends. So to the extent that Greece has become, let's say, a hotspot nowadays, and everybody is interested in investing in Greece, you have the whole crowd of investors and also funds which are interested in investing in Greece. And uh, because there are, in, in we believe, many opportunities in Greece, the prices are still moderate. And there is, of course, stability and the political risk uh, that was, uh, let's say, perceived by foreign investors uh, has been completely eliminated. So are there recurring challenges or specific challenges that obviously last year, the disruption and COVID and pandemic would have caused their own challenges in completing transactions in the privatization program. But are there other challenges that come up regularly for investors? Yes, there are, there are, of course, the challenges that we have uh, uh, seen during the pandemic, but these, I think, were faced in a very successful way by the government, so there were no delays due to that. In fact, what one can see if there are two drawbacks, one might say that the first drawback drawback is uh, that sometimes the management of those companies under privatization, despite the fact that there were very clear instructions from the government that they wished this, these privatizations to proceed at a very fast pace, unfortunately, sometimes the management, due also to the pressure of the trade unions, delay the procedure. So it seems sometimes, especially from the outside, that they are dragging, I mean, the management is dragging their feet, but uh, this is something I think that the government is taking care of. The other issue that one may face, and this is a problem, of course, in all, uh, uh, in all democratic jurisdictions, is the problem that you have resistance to change. That is, the local communities sometimes uh, are opposed to any change, despite the fact that most of these projects will bring uh, new um, new employment, 
uh, and uh, a lot of uh, uh, let's say progress in the in the in the in the various regions uh, sometimes uh, those local communities are opposed and they are opposed because it is always a reaction to change it's not something different and i think that investors should have to take care of those problems that is in the first place they should have an appropriate they should approach those uh, uh, local authorities see what their interests are what the reactions might be see what the town planning concerns might be sometimes there are also environmental concerns and these become more and more important as everybody knows so you need to show a lot uh, let's say of sensitivity with regard to the local issues in order not to face problems in the development uh, of those uh, uh, of those uh, of those projects so privatization now um, comes let's say to the core i would say of what would be the the the, the state itself that is uh, we know that um, in the energy sector uh, there is uh, this huge uh, uh, pro- this uh, um, this huge uh, project of privatizing the gas corporation and uh, also the um, electricity distribution network uh, and this will be a very substantial change let's say in the energy sector in Greece uh, will make things much more competitive which is what the government expects and um, also I, I think that with regard to some other projects such as ports for instance uh, uh, take the port of Heraklion which is in Crete uh, this is going of course to change uh, the whole um, the whole perspective that foreigners have with regard to the Greek infrastructures. There are many ports uh, which are under uh, a tendering procedure. For instance, the port of Alexandrupoli, which is in the northern part of Greece, which is very important from the strategic point of view. There is the port of Igumenitsa, which is on the, let's say, the, the, the western side of Greece and which is a port joining Greece to Italy and uh, uh, is also the the ending point of what is called the Egnatia Highway which starts from Alexandrupolis and crosses over both the Greek uh, Macedonia Macedonia and Epirus and uh, um, ends up in Igumenitsa. So um, these are very important infrastructure uh, works that will change uh, the whole, um, uh, let's say, perception of how uh, the Greek uh, uh, infrastructure is operating. And you have various other examples, for instance, which uh, are not privatizations per se because they do not belong to the wider public sector, but are very important. For instance, uh, there is... um, uh, a landmark transaction which is taking place nowadays and is being cleared by the European Commission which is uh, the largest insurance company in Greece which is a subsidiary of the largest credit institution in Greece which is the National Bank of Greece and the which is a subsidiary, now is being privatized and acquired by a foreign fund which is CVC. 
And CVC, uh, according to what it said, now this transaction is being cleared by the European uh, Union, by the European Commission. And CVC, the first thing that they are going to do, and this is what they announced, is they are going to invest $72 million or euros in upgrading the IT systems of this huge uh, um, insurance company, which is the leader in the Greek market. So by having funds uh, which have a strategic interest in Greece or by having foreign investors who have, uh, let's say, a a long-term view of the market, we are achieving, uh, um, let's say, having those institutional investors in Greece and uh, to prepare the country for the next revolution, let's say, which is going to be uh, becoming much more attractive and much more uh, competitive in the European market. How has Bernitas Law positioned itself in this, in this context? Um, what is it that, that sort of your team offers? Here? Uh, well, first of all, we have a very um, wide, let's say, experience in uh, dealing with those privatization issues. We were instrumental in the first privatizations that have taken place in Greece. Since then, we have always been active in all sectors. We have practically participated in every, practically in every one of those uh, privatizations, starting from the water and sewerage companies in Athens and Thessaloniki, which were uh, uh, where we uh, helped those companies uh, do the IPO in the Greek uh, uh, um, in the Greek stock exchange, uh, and the privatization of Hellenic Petroleum, which was one of the most important privatizations. We were very um, much involved in most of the concession contracts, which were the concession contracts uh, co-financed by the Greek government and by uh, foreign investors in the highways network in Greece and especially uh, in one of the um, most prestigious projects, which is the Rionantirium Bridge. Uh, And now we are in the second or the third wave of privatizations in which we are still uh, very active, mostly in advising on the on the buy side, foreign investors, but also trying to help uh, uh, and assist the Greek government whenever this is needed, especially in uh, uh, let's say uh, pro bono work with regard to preparing legislative texts uh, and assisting them uh, with regard to advice whenever we are asked uh, or whenever this is needed. Okay, perfect. I mean it. Yeah, it must have been keeping you so busy <laughs> these, last, <laughs> these last few years. I can't imagine. No, this is a very busy time and we hope that it will continue because I think that all the omens are very good and uh, the reactions that we hear from the rating agencies and from, let's say, the international institutions are very positive. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope that this continues, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes we're experts in reversing, let's say, the good trends <laughs> in this country. <laughs> uh, okay, that, that, that's perfect. The, the last thing that we'd like to ask, and because these are topics that IFLR has been covering a lot globally, 
are the topics of digital finance and ESG, uh, meaning environmental, social and governance. These are very sort of hot topics uh, in, mm. in every market. But I, I wanted to ask in, in this context, how developed are these themes in the Greek market? Um, you know, these issues you're tackling day in, day out, um, how deeply has ESG embedded itself, whether it's in funds or other types of projects or investment? Where do you see it? Yeah, <clears throat> especially for private equities, it's, um, it's a key work stream of the whole due diligence exercise. Um, especially funds based uh, or coming from uh, the US and mm. um, from the more developed EU countries. Uh, in Greece, of course, a hot topic, but only a handful of Greek corporates truly understand the importance and long-term advantage of um, ESG. This is also demonstrated by a very recent study published by the University of Athens, upon which the Athens Exchange created last week uh, the first ESG index, consisting of only 35 listed corporates who managed to meet the required score based on a solid set of criteria or KPIs. Uh, my comment would be that there is a long way to go and I believe uh, that initially the main focus on, of international and domestic regulators should not be on compliance. They should rather work alongside and educate the relevant market participants. And, and on, on, on this um, um, uh, front, um, both the Hellenic Capital Market Commission and the Athens Exchange have started um, uh, certain seminars uh, to help Greek corporates, especially the listed ones, uh, to understand the benefits of um, ESG and assist them in their compliance process. Just as a, an aside question, in the context of the privatization program, has ESG come up there as a factor in terms of evaluating bids or tender processes or anything like that? Up to a certain extent. Uh, especially in certain types of uh, companies under privatization, such as in the energy sector, uh, and no, I would say mainly in, uh, mainly in the energy sector uh, and other public utilities. There is also a, a trend uh, which has started more than three years ago for the banks to include in their loan agreements certain provisions that are based on the World Bank um, guidelines, the AIF guidelines on environmental and social management, environmental and social sustainability. Uh, now, these provisions are more or less standardized. There is usually a discussion with the boards because they are concerned that a breach of that undertaking might result in a default. So there is always a hot topic, so to say, in the negotiations. But I think people have gradually been used to, to seeing these provisions in the agreement. And, um, and I think this will continue because it is very clear that the banks 
want to make sure that their loan agreements will be consistent with this effort on EGS. And therefore, this is something that we will see most probably in a very standardized language. And especially in, 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 in projects who are financed or co-financed by supranationals like EBRD or the IF Correct, or, uh, yeah, but the IAB. The thing is that because even the, the commercial banks, because they are financed uh, exactly through yeah. these banks and, and also want to make sure that their financing through ECB as well will be in compliance with certain very basic principles, they have included it anyway. So it is not just the IFIs now, it's practically everybody. Do you see it from the commercial sector, the private mm. banking sector? Do you see mm. that? Are they taking a lead on this or...? Well, I think you you basically see it now in a, in almost every loan agreement. So even if that particular borrower is not what you would call a, a borrower that presents a particular risk because the the area of activity is you know marginally uh, risky for these purposes, but still they insist on having it in in their loan agreements. You know, personally, I'm happy with that, but I I have to <laughs> I have to convey that yes, there is some discussions with borrowers. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because of the default risk, anyway. Mm. Okay. Have you seen it creep into other areas as well? I think you mentioned uh, Nico cap, cap capital markets a little bit earlier. I don't know, mm. if sort of in on the even on the equity side, uh, equity issuances or? Not on the equity issuances, uh, but on debt issuances. And we have certain um, very notable uh, recent examples. We have the issuance of uh, truly Greek, uh, green bonds um, and, and uh, um, adherence uh, to ESG criteria by large Greek corporates such as Motor Oil, Mithilneos um, Group, PPC, uh, or GK Terna. Um, uh, certain of them tapped the international, exclusively the international markets, issuing uh, a truly green uh, bond. Others um, addressed the Greek public, the Greek investors. Uh, but again, um, they have they have received uh, attestation that you know their um, the proceeds would be used for uh, uh, to to finance uh, green projects. Okay. Oh, it's interesting. It's a space we'll we'll keep watching um, uh, carefully, and then to turn to that final topic, the digital finance. It would just be interesting to know what developments you've been seeing in the market. How prominent is this as as a theme? Uh, where mm. is it cropping up? In in the banking and finance uh, area, there is already activity on the part of foreign market participants in the first place, who want to explore how they could expand their services in the Greek market. So we, we do have a number of questions and even questionnaires as well as to how this would work. And the other uh, thing is that the Bank of Greece is very well aware of, of this and they are now conducting um, a study basically with the participation of willing regulated companies uh, and the 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 purpose of this is to practically investigate to what extent there are any uh, financial supervision gaps that would need to be addressed, whether there are any other issues that need to be taken into account, and to what extent there could be um, 
at a later stage, a cooperation of non-regulated businesses as well with regulated businesses so that they they join efforts, so to say, the one puts the technology, the other puts the, the clients and the services, uh, so that this works. Because, And I think the, the interest is uh, stronger also because of the pandemic, because I think all of us basically stopped doing whatever business uh, physically uh, and explored what, what more we can do uh, without going to somebody's premises. So I think this this has strengthened the whole uh, process towards this area, the digital finance. And are you expecting any legal developments or other developments you're expecting in this field, so say in the next 12 months? Yeah, I think, yeah, that that's the idea. The Bank of Greece is working on this and in order to, to see to what extent they need to do something more uh, and towards what direction in the first place, what what is the area that really needs to be taken care of, so to say, in, in this particular type of services. So I, I would normally expect that uh, either by the end of this year or uh, within 2022, uh, we will see uh, more developments in this area on the legal and regulatory front. Are there particular areas in that that you think are more pressing than others? Well, I think the the movement of funds is always very, very important because people want to send money. Uh, there is also the, the, to what extent you can better use your bank account whenever, wherever you are. There are uh, credit card issues and payment card issues. There is a lot of, <clears throat> there is a lot of, uh, of activity in merchant acquiring business. And then there is another area which is perhaps a little bit more complicated, which has to do with investment services. So it remains to be seen how this will develop. But I think, yes, we, I would expect that we will see very shortly developments in this area. Okay, watch this space. Well, brilliant. Um, Nico, Athanasia, Paniotis, thank you so much thank for you. your your time for taking part thank it's you it has been a pleasure and likewise yeah uh, and hopefully we'll speak again soon and again congratulations on your win thank you very much thank you very much for your time thank you thank Definitely. you thank you very much bye-bye take care bye-bye